inspire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to where they are today. Today, my guest is Adam Sokolich, also known as Best Live Audio on Twitter, which is a weird way to say also known as because he has a, uh, a live audio platform on Twitter. But what he does is uh, pretty amazing. I encountered him through an interview he was doing live with Derek Sivers. And immediately, I reached out because I loved the conversation. I loved how he ran it. And I asked him to be on the show. And I'm so glad I did because this was a wonderful conversation. Like, isn't it really interesting just how much, um, really how connection, that thread flows through everything? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like just from like an early point in his career as an entrepreneur, like connecting with people and connecting people together has time and time again proven to be sort of where where he lives, where his strong suit is. So it's really cool to see how that came together with Best of Live Audio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Community, connection, and empathy for your audience. Those are like the key words that stuck with me. Uh-huh. It was really great. Yeah. So, so again, that's enough, uh, enough lead in. Without further ado, my conversation with Adam Sokolich. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I try to try to make it as high quality as I can, you know? And um, actually, what do you use when you when you do your thing? Obviously, we'll get into stuff later, but... I keep it as simple as possible. Honestly, like I'm right here on my Mac or when I'm hosting on Twitter Spaces, it's just my very, very expensive iPhone. Nice. Um, because honestly, I get compliments on all the time saying, Adam, you sound so clear. You sound great. What are you using? It's just simple enough. It's great technology and it's live, right? So it's almost a little bit better when doesn't sound perfect in some ways. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you sound like you're on a mic. It, it is wild to me. So that really? is, yeah, like when you're on the spaces, like when the Derek Sivers one, when I was listening, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have guessed it was just through your phone. So that is really impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I can hear a very clear difference with your mic right now. I can mm-hmm. tell that you're using a mic. I can tell that you've got a great setup. But obviously, I don't really hear myself. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't often play back listening to myself either. So I, I need to go back and do that actually now that you're saying that as well and I'll see how things sound. But yeah, thank definitely. You. Do you, um, I mean, it's just like technical. Do you hold it up in a spot? Is it just on the table? Is it a nice soundproof room kind of thing? I don't know. Oh man, you're getting into all the nitty gritty. I love this. <laughs> um, no, honestly, what I do, and if you could see my Mac screen in front of me, I just take it and I lean it up against my screen because two reasons. Number one, the microphone input going into my phone is right next to the speaker or where the audio would come out of uh-huh. my computer. So for recording purposes. Um, and then at the same time, I'm just huddled in close because I'm also looking at like information I need on my screen or something like that. So it's nothing different, nice. but I'm surprised people are saying it's so great. And um, I have uh, you know, blue mic over here. I, I bought it a year ago. I've not used it once in my life. And uh, <laughs> I just stick with, with what's easiest because I don't want to overcomplicate it too much. At least uh, when things are live, you got to be so attentive to all the other things that if my mic gets disconnected or if I have to worry about wiring or something, then that just can cause some chaos. So I keep it as simple as possible. Yeah, that's so important to try to make everything. Um, like I, I try to take, 
take the same approach and make things turnkey. Obviously, my setup is more complex, but I have just like a box where I rearrange the room, plug in all these cables, and I'm ready to go. Otherwise, yep. it's yeah, way too much when things get complex. But yeah, I appreciate yep. you taking the time to do this. Like, I really enjoyed your conversation with Derek, and immediately I was like looking through sort of what you, who you are, what you're doing, and I was like, oh, we should talk. I want to hear. I want to dive into your story. I think origin stories are super valuable, and I think it's. Uh, I think it can be helpful for people because they can see themselves maybe in you in a per, uh, specific spot in your journey. So I think it can uh, just be valuable all around. And I just wanted to just wanted to have a chat. So, yeah, I appreciate it. I love it. And believe me, I know your perspective on this situation more than I'm sitting in right now because I'm not usually the one being interviewed. I'm the one interviewing people. So it's unique, but I appreciate it. Uh, in a way, I want to do more of this stuff anyway. So it's, it's a good place to be. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Turning the tables is uh, different because I'm much, I am much more comfortable on this side of the, of the microphone. So I feel I saw that there might be a story here, maybe not, but I'm just very curious. Virginia Tech holding doors open. Is there a story behind that and why you went, why you chose that school? Yeah. And so you know, looking at colleges, I knew kind of specifically I wanted a bigger school, certainly great academics. I was an athlete as well. I wanted that to be included. I wanted to get away where I grew up in New England. And so I looked at, you know, big schools like Penn State, Virginia Tech, Purdue. But the thing that was so different about Virginia Tech is, yes, I was walking on campus and, and it's a beautiful place to be. I'm actually still here technically. I never moved away. But the thing that resonated most is when you're going on a tour and you're looking at colleges I remember vividly walking up to one building and someone held a door open for me. Now that doesn't sound groundbreaking, right? Or, or something incredible. But for me in that moment, what it meant was that the people here are there to help. They're there to be supportive. They're there to be kind and genuine and authentic, right? And, and I took that away from a little micro moment. Now, it didn't stop there. It kept going throughout the tour. And ultimately that's the vibe of the community that's here. But that resonated with me because growing up, you know, and I grew up outside Boston, which is a great place as well. And I'm sure people hold doors open, but it's just, it's just a different vibe, a different, you know, like it's just maybe doors slam in your face or something like that. You know what I mean? And so that really resonated with me because I want to surround myself with sure like-minded individuals, but I appreciate the diversity, but I want people that uh, are there to be supportive because that's the type of person I am as well, right? So when uh, you heard about me talking with Derek Sivers and the work I'm doing with uh, the the brand, the best of live audio, that all started as well because it was is to help other people, right? It was to be supportive of of their thoughts, their passions, their conversations. It was not for myself at all. And so back to your question with Virginia Tech, yeah, it was about that. I wanted to surround myself with people that were there for you, even as simple and as small is giving yourself the chance to open a door for you. So that's yeah. that quick story. Well, yeah, that stuff can really stand out. And I think the uh, the notion for someone who's not a New Englander um, is sort of that like gritty, like, oh, it's cold here a lot. We might be a little angry sometimes. So like I could almost like imagine the difference potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was it was clearly different. Uh, you know, Penn State was a great school. Purdue is a great school. Uh, but Virginia Tech, that was one thing that set it apart uh, more than anything else. And it, it continued throughout my college career there. Right. And beyond the community was always so supportive. I mean, so that's the entry into the university. I don't want to dive too much further into this, but my <laughs> okay. exit from the university was um, 
Have you, did you ever hear about the Virginia Tech mass shooting on April 16th? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that. I don't want to dive into that too much, but I was in the building, two buildings down from that and I came close to it. Uh, but that was the way I left. Right. And while that's a negative experience, what was so positive is that the community came back together. They were supportive of everyone, right? We became stronger because of that as well. Mm-hmm. And, and community to me as I've grown up has become so important. You know, I think you surround yourself with people that can really be there for you. I mean, and by the way, I love talking, but I can dive into so many different stories. You know, there was a year uh, that I really dove into audiobooks, And one that really resonated with me was about um, the blue zones, which are these areas where people live to be much older than usual, right? I think they're called centarians or something. The average age is over 100. And one community in particular was in Japan. And the scientists were trying to figure out, well, what makes them, you know, live so much longer? And sure, it's because of uh, their diet, right? And because maybe uh, exercise. But ultimately, one of the strongest things and indicators that they pulled away from it was uh, having a sense of community, right? Having uh, this wellness of people around you that they support you and to share passions and things like that, right? So these little nuances, these little stories throughout my career and throughout my life uh, really kind of come back to helping build a community and uh, helping other people as well. Yeah. And that's so important is to look outside ourselves. Like it's so easy. Uh, like we see it, we see it all the time. So many people who maybe host a show or a space or whatever, and it ends up about them, not about the guest or building things with that expectation of return in the end. But when you're just like something I like to sort of lean on is improving someone else's life is always a good business decision. It doesn't matter if you're making money from that, if if there's any sort of trajectory, but if you're helping someone else, it always comes back. Yep. And, uh, you know, this is is probably one of my biggest principles myself. It's something I learned from Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. I remember, remember vividly this moment. I was, it was a Saturday night. It was like three, probably four years ago. I was just doing, I was doing work on a late Saturday night, two in the morning. And I had a screen over here with Gary V going and he's just playing videos in the background of him. And I kept hearing something. He was talking about like giving and giving for free and stuff like this. But over the, the time I was doing that work, all of a sudden the light bulb went off. And, and ultimately it was at a moment where he said, the power of giving can do amazing things for this world, surely outward, but then comes back to you as well. He said, give, 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 ask, right? The idea being, if you can give to a person and continually get, continuously give in a genuine way, then at some point you've given them so much value that they're going to appreciate that. And so the moment that you have an ask, they're more likely to give you what you're looking for, right? So let's swing that over into the business world for a second, right? Or even into the interviews with, let's say, Derek Sivers for a second, because it took me over a year to get him on. It was That in itself is a little bit of a story. But throughout the process, you know, I, I was genuine. I love everything about his work and and the way that he talks and presents himself. Uh, But throughout that, I was trying to give value, right? And ultimately help promote his book that he had launched a year ago and then a new one that he was relaunching as well right now. Um, And so after a year, being able to kind of make that ask, it was, I remember him quickly getting back to me and say, sure, let's do it. And I was like, whoa, really? Okay. You know? And so that's just one prime example. So that having a community, but being able to give to it, will certainly swing back around to uh, that individual or yourself in the future. So there's a big value there. Yeah, for sure. Where about in your journey did that become like sort of a central tenet for your approach? 
Ooh, so let's say four years ago. I mean, I've been at a school right now. I graduated in 07. So was that 15 years ago? Uh, this happened five years ago. So late into my, not late into my career, 10, 10, about 10 years into my career. That sounds pretty far in there, right? But you pick up on these principles throughout the way. And of course, I wish I picked up on that earlier, but you can't always predict those things, right? Um, but literally ever since that moment, I've built that into every aspect of my life. Um, at this point, it's kind of just become natural for me to want to give. At the same time, though, you and I have a ton of books here. I wish I could pull out the one from Adam Grant. There's a balance. There's give and take, right? Have you heard of that book before? No, I haven't seen that one yet. So Adam Grant is an amazing psychologist out of Wharton, uh, out of Penn, and uh, he's given some of the best TED Talks. And we should talk about TED speakers uh -huh. in a bit as well. <laughs> Uh, but he's written many, many books. And that's one of my favorites called Give and Take. There's people out there that are givers. There's people out there that are takers. And then there's those in the middle, those balance. And life can be very much about that. Now, each one has its pros and cons, right? Even uh, being a taker has its pros, right? And have, being a giver has its cons. But having that balance is really, really important as well. So I try to heavily weight on the give, 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 ask, right? And so I'm just making this up. But 75% of the time, I'm trying to give. Oh, yeah. But I'm trying to I'm trying to get some good stuff out of out of these opportunities as well. Yeah, and even if it's not direct, I'm sure it's just the goodwill that you're yes. you're sending out there. It it finds its way back, which is I think I think that's something that people can miss too. Like when like us starting our business, we do brand development and help people, usually solo entrepreneurs, build uh, their business and grow and become sustainable, you know, profitable and sustainable. And some of our best partnerships there has been there hasn't been a single invoice for the entirety of the 10 plus years we've worked together because over time it's just help 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 oh look you can make more money here how about we work together on this how about we together build this revenue stream and then we have our percentage you have yours and it it just works out and then you continue on and it's it's just that wasn't an expectation six years prior but then later that opportunity arises just because of building that like that true friendship true connection and to add on that so the moment i heard that give 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 ask from gary v right mm -hmm. i was working on a project where i just thought to myself wow what is the opportunity because before that i had been reaching out to a lot of uh in my in my uh, work in marketing and sales and growth and stuff like that reached out to a lot of significant ceos around the world for whatever reason and that was great. But then I started utilizing kind of the give, 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 ask approach. I also stopped and thought, well, there's got to be like a business opportunity here. Where is there this opportunity that you can give a lot and then take, you know, take back? And, and Gary's example uh, that inspired me was he just threw this out there. He's like, well, what if you want to become the best uh, real estate agent in New York City? Right. He said, you just got out of college. You're looking for a job. Well, you could do two things. You could go work at a small real estate firm in New York, be an associate or an intern work really, really hard and maybe grow, right? A little bit. Or you could take that similar approach if you have some time and put a lot of time and effort into go find the top real estate agents in New York City. Find out how you can connect with them. Before you connect with them, create some value. It could be as small as finding an article that might be relevant to them to doing a one-page summary report on an opportunity. I don't know what it is. And then send it to them, right? And build up that relationship. Well, likely, again, if you're going to be able to connect with them, if they're willing to, and then accept the value and then see value, they'll likely want you to continue to do so where 
Maybe they'll take you on as a free unpaid intern. The long-term strategy of that opportunity is, sure, you don't have a job out of college and you're not going to make that minimum salary, right? And you're going to be growing over there. But over here, it's like you have connections to the top real estate agents in New York City. You're going to get opportunities. They may hire you or may connect you with another firm that just advances you faster, right? So what I did in that moment was I wanted to help executives in a very similar way, right? Senior leaders and solo entrepreneurs, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned. So we can talk about that. And I thought, well, what do I have a lot of? Well, I had great connections to, for instance, Virginia Tech. We were talking about that, where there's a lot of students who are also eagerly trying to advance themselves into the working world before they even get there. Um, And entrepreneurship is becoming a thing. So I thought to myself, well, they can do a bunch of free work. So can I be that middleman, that connector, right? Where a CEO or a solar entrepreneur needs something to get done. They have a million things on their task list, like you do, like I do, right? (laughs) Well, what if I could take off number 100 from their list give it to a college student who can do the work. Yeah, it's not going to be perfect, but it's better than that entrepreneur not ever doing it because it's so far down on their task list, right? Then the student gets uh, experience, right? Maybe they can put a little bit on their resume. They did some project work for XYZ person. But at the same time, that person gets some value for something that they probably weren't going to be able to do. So I thought to myself, maybe there's a, an opportunity here. I reached out to two people, one being Gary V's COO, the other person being Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. They're just the first people I stumbled across that I was connected with on, on LinkedIn that I thought would be resonant, that this would resonate with them. I emailed the COO for Gary V. He got back to me within 24 hours saying, I love it. Here's the project. He didn't want to know anything about it. He just <laughs> literally said, here's a project. Can you do it? Right? Okay, great. Within 24 hours, Jason Pfeiffer got back to me and said, Interesting. And he wanted to learn a little bit more, but ultimately he kept sending me things. For three months, I did free work for Jason Pfeiffer, right? For entrepreneur, for the head of Entrepreneur Magazine. It was more for him personally, not for the brand. And it just built up more of a relationship for us where after about five months, I said, hey, can my ask, right? Mm-hmm. Can I get 30 minutes with you? I just want to like share some ideas, see what you think, get some feedback. He said, sure. The odd thing was that when we spoke, it was in the early February, 2020. And we got on the phone call and he was like in his kid's bedroom. I could see his bunk bed behind him. He seemed anxious in some ways. And I could tell something was going on. It was at the, it was at the start, the height of the pandemic in New York city, where he was, you could tell he just had a lot on his mind. And I gave him five ideas. He kind of liked some of them. He said one, he wanted me to noodle on. Anyways, I walked away from that conversation. And later that day I saw an article, uh, it was at the head of Forbes, the front of Forbes, and it was the CEO of Zoom, which we're on right now, Mm -hmm. right? Eric Yuan. And what he had done, what the story was about was he was giving Zoom away because of the pandemic for free, right? Mainly to schools and educators and things like that. But within five seconds, I knew how big this opportunity was because number one, he gets to give, right? He can give away his platform and software kind of for free to help schools empower themselves through this very challenging and difficult situation, right? Boom. But he's going to get millions of new users on his platform, right? Ones that are going to become sticky, that are going to be there in the long term, that may, you know, the school systems are going to have to upgrade into more of an enterprise account or something like that, right? So it was kind of a bam, bam, bam. It made so much sense that. In my experience, and I know a lot of software CEOs out there that I thought there's got to be more of these opportunities. So that was my pitch. I talked to Jason on a Friday. 
on Sunday, I sent them an email saying, hey, you told me to noodle on an idea, a list of free, free resources. Well, here's it a little bit further. I told them about the story with Forbes. I told them, I want to reach out to all these software CEOs and put a list together of free tools to help people through the pandemic. I wrote him that email on three o'clock on a Sunday. By four o'clock, he wrote back to me. He said, I love it. You want to make it an article on entrepreneur.com? And I was like, what? <laughs> Didn't expect that. And so two hours later, I wrote my first email to the CEO of Slack. His name is Stuart Butterfield. He got back to me within an hour, right? He said, Adam, Slack's already free. And I said, I know, but you know, can I include you on the list? He said, go for it. I just knew that immediately that was at least a step in the right direction, right? I reached out to another CEO. Yes. Within three days, I had 65. I put them together in a list. I sent it to Entrepreneur. They typically say an article will be published with or approved within about three weeks of going through an editor. They did it within 24 hours, 48 hours. He said they'd never been really done that fast before. It launched on a Friday or, or Saturday. It went viral over the weekend. I said, did you guys like it? He said, yeah, you're going to do another one, right? They wanted me to grow it. So I did it like 111 and then 199. And the list could have kept going on, but obviously that would just be this massive web page. <laughs> and so I had 199 free tools to help people through the pandemic, right? And after my very long-winded story, how did that end or how did that start? Because I was giving to Jason Pfeiffer, right? He gave me the time to talk. That was my ask. And what do you know? It rolled into another opportunity to write an article for Entrepreneur that went viral. That had benefited me, but ultimately it was an article to benefit other people who could use those tools. Do you know how many software companies I had emailing me? Even to this day, Adam, can I get on that list from three years ago or two <laughs> years ago? I'm like, what? No, I'm, not, no, uh -huh. I'm kind of beyond that. But that kind of helped bump me. And actually, I want to stop for a second and, and turn it back to you. But that then leads into my story of starting the best of live audio and everything I've done since then. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, the opportunity and seeing that there is... Uh, is something really valuable sort of to, to stick on for a minute because did you consider yourself a writer before that point? Not at all. Now I can write, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and I can write well, but I've never written before besides like papers in school. It is hard. Mm -hmm. Now that one was easy because generally I was making a list. And, and I remember Jason saying, Adam, by the way, we don't do lists. So like we're making a case for this because it is helpful right now. And it's easy to do right um but generally he's like we don't do lists because it's seen as promoting companies but i wasn't promoting zoom right or slack it was like 199 of them yeah. it's not one or the other right uh, and they weren't making money off of it it was for free so no i didn't but it didn't stop there he wanted me to do a list uh, a month later, he came back to me and he, he had a list for something else, right? That was in April. In May, there was another list. It was about like remote recruiting in the time, you know? And then it, that'll segue into the best of live audio, but I'll skip over that because then a year later, he came back to me. He said, Adam, I want to do a story on the best of li on, uh, on live audio on Clubhouse, stuff like that, right? On Twitter spaces. And he said, I'd usually give this to one of my senior reporters. He's like, but you know this area better than anyone that I know. On top of that, I've seen kind of your writing already. Would you want to do a six page article in Entrepreneur Magazine, right? And like a six page, like written article. Uh -huh. you grab it. Uh, is it here? Ah, it's around here somewhere. I have a bunch of entrepreneur. But like who gets that opportunity to have a six, six page spread in, in a printed, uh, you know, global entrepreneur yeah, magazine? In print, seeing your name in print in something that's that iconic. 
<clears throat> all by me. It's wild. Yeah, exactly. Right. It wasn't like co-written or things uh -huh. like that as well. That was so challenging. Honestly, I've I've probably I have a hard time saying putting as much work into something within like a two week time frame because they have, you know, they got to get it published and things like that. It's got to get edited. I needed to interview people, which is a whole new experience for me, turning that into writing um, and then writing creatively and then writing in an interesting way. You know, uh, like, how do I start a six page <laughs> article, right? An entrepreneur magazine. And I, and a fun little story, but like, um, it was right when Elon Musk came on to, uh, onto clubhouse. Right. And I just took his tweet and I basically used that to start because what he said was like joining clubhouse at 11 PM tonight or something like that. Right. Uh, and so I literally like, that's the way I started. It was like, if Elon Musk is trying out Clubhouse and live audio and things like that, that's a great way to kind of kick off the story. And then I can tell you all about the rest of it. But ultimately, uh, after all this in depth, it was about giving, right? So giving to Jason. So I had the opportunity to talk with him and then writing the articles so that I could, I could give back to people um, to help people through the pandemic. Then ultimately, it led to more stories in Entrepreneur. And then it led to uh, the best of live audio and many more opportunities since then. So uh -huh. it's been great. So so from that sort of entrepreneur, that first uh, dipping your toes in there, working with Jason, um, like I saw the Pessimists Archive is a show that is like under your umbrella, which sort of blew my mind because I didn't realize that when I first reached out and I have listened to that. I haven't listened as much since it was rebranded, which I just realized yeah. I hadn't because I didn't realize it was the same show, I guess. That's on me. But like I was a big fan of that show. So I was like, well, this is interesting. And then the more I dug, the more I'm like, so many interesting things. This is going to be such a, a great convo. So I am curious then, sort of that thread right there. Where is that um, working with Jason, working with Entrepreneur? Um, how does that interconnect then with Best of Live Audio and uh, Growth View is the actual, like your company that sort of is surrounding all of this, right? That's right. So if we go back to that story about me helping Jason for free after the Gary V moment, right, with college students and helping Jason with some tasks and things like that. That was right around the time that I started my business called Growth View. It was, it's just that uh, businesses out there are so focused on maintaining their business that often they forget about growing their business. And there's times when it's hard to scale, uh, to, to hire new people in sales, to hire new people in marketing. Not only that, but you're hiring them full time. That's a huge, you know, opportunity, but that's a huge ask. And you're putting risk behind it. Yes, money, but you got to put their benefits into it as well. And maybe they're not a good hire. Maybe they don't work after two months, right? So Growth View was very much about outsourcing that type of, of growth, marketing, sales, business development for startups and businesses that needed it, right? Or need a very short-term project, they don't wanna go hire someone full on, right? At the same time, they don't wanna go hire some massive marketing firm to do some of these very tactical, uh, strategic projects, if you will, right? So it was right around that time that I was helping Jason. I told you kind of the stories afterwards. And sure, I, I kind of probably made some asks during the way, like, can I do some work for you or something? I think he kept it in his mind because it was, it was later he came back to me. He's like, are you still available? Could I, you know, hire you? Could, could you work with me to do more? And so ultimately it was later that year that I came on board. Uh, he, he became one of my clients to help grow. We rebranded Pessimist Archive, which yes, is a podcast and a newsletter, but that rebrand came with two things. Number one, it just changed the branding for the podcast, 
but also it did split off from Pessimist Archive. So that Pessimist continued very specifically as a newsletter run by the person uh, who writes the newsletter, someone else. And so that's in a different world, right? Um, so at the time when I came on board, it was Pessimist Archive, but we've since rebranded it. I still work with them to this day. Literally every day I'm doing something with Jason Pfeiffer, with Build for Tomorrow. But can you imagine the number of opportunities that Jason has in the entrepreneurial world that either that I get privy to, I help with, or there's been more opportunities that he's thrown my way because of that as well, right? So it's very much a mutual beneficial relationship, but there's just so many opportunities out there. And it's so insightful to learn from him of all people, you know, sure, storytelling and writing, but to podcasting, to what he sees as interesting out into the startup world, right? Uh, to him being pitched a billion different times. What makes a great pitch? What makes a great interview, right? Because he interviews everyone from Ryan Reynolds to top you know, CEOs from around the world as well. Um, and so there's a, there's so much that I can learn from him. There's so much from that experience that, you know, I can go anywhere that you'd like to take the conversation next. But yeah, it's been great. Oh, yeah. And that giving is almost like a self-appointed apprenticeship of sorts with someone mm. who is like very experienced, has mm. plenty of opportunity for you to grow. And like, like you're sort of that's almost your ass. You're like, what can I give to you? And I'm going to be getting all of this along the way, even if there wasn't money involved, which I think is like is a great approach. Like an apprenticeship approach is so just so valuable. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, it's become a client relationship. Yes, for right? sure. It started uh -huh. as that uh, in a way mentoring because I was learning from him, but I was giving him value back. Mm -hmm. Right. But then it grew. He it was a test. Right. In a way to prove that not only am I here the whole time and I'm doing great work, but you get to see how we work together. Can that evolve? We'll take that same mindset to what I'm doing with growth view. It's very much the same way. You can go hire someone full time. There's going to be a, a lot of value there, but there's a lot of risks. If you need something that you can be outsourced, and I don't mean outsourced to a virtual assistant in a foreign country or something like that, but someone that isn't an assistant, more like of a chief of staff, if you will. You can give them something you know, significant and they're going to get it done, right? So the project that he has me working on, it's like, hey, Adam, I need you to go do, just figure this out. And, and it can be small, but it can be really big as well. And those are great opportunities to learn, right? And then to work with him and learn from him as well. But then I start building relationships with, uh, you know, you're in the podcasting world. You probably know like Jordan Hardbringer or something like that, right? There's other great podcasters that he engages with. Now that I'm copied on those emails and I'm helping these other podcasters as well. Well, if I want to help more podcasters, I now have this whole new funnel to help them scale their podcasts as well, right? Uh, or the entrepreneurs that he connects with as well. So uh, in a way, uh, Jason is a great funnel for new business as well. It's, mm -hmm. it's really fantastic. Yeah. But that wouldn't have happened uh, unless, you know, sure, I put a shot on goal, you know, I, I shoot my shot, if you will. But, you know, I ultimately go out there and I connect and build a genuine relationship with someone like Jason. And uh, he's a really, really great guy. Yeah, yeah, it's so important. It's, it's both who you know and what you know, because you're able to offer all of this. But if you didn't have the connections, didn't have sort of the the way in to let other people on ramp you of sorts. Um, like if, if you're just cold calling everyone, that's a lot harder. But if someone's like, no, 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 I vouch for uh, growth for you. I vouch for that. Like it's, it's so valuable, but without the, without the skills, without the experience and your knowledge, it would be, it would be a totally different ballgame.
Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So now best of live audio. You mm-hmm. you sort of you started on Clubhouse. Clubhouse that was huge. Like that that blew up and sort of changed the game with this. And maybe you didn't start there, but I know you sort of it was sort of Clubhouse best, sort of before best of live and more broad. What were your first steps into that? Into um, sort of like self-proclaim, you weren't necessarily like writing and interviewing people as your focus. So what did that look like around that time? Yeah, so I love this story and I don't share it very often. So you're one of the first to hear it. Uh, when I wrote that article for Entrepreneur about, you know, 199 free tools to help you through the pandemic, you know, they promote it and they promote it on social media like Twitter, right? And so, of course, I wanted to help promote that as well. So I was there liking and retweeting what they were writing about me. Well, it was right at that time, it was March, 2020, when if you're on Twitter, for instance, you'll see what's trending. And it was like Clubhouse, Clubhouse, Clubhouse. Like, what is Clubhouse? I've never heard of it before. But it was backed by Mark Andreessen of A16Z, who is pretty well known. And I've known him. He actually kind of got an interview that he did with Tim Ferriss five years before that, 2015, really inspired me to get into the audio world. Um, but I was very, very interested in Clubhouse. The problem was two things. Number one, it was private beta. So you needed to get on a wait list. You really couldn't get into it. It felt very exclusive. Number two, they were such an early and young company that they didn't really have a huge social team. So like, how do you learn more about all the stuff going on in Clubhouse? Well, I just started while I was on Twitter, I was like just liking these comments about people having great conversations on Clubhouse and things like that, but I still didn't have access. I started liking and retweeting so many of them that people started following me because I was doing that more than Clubhouse, more than (laughs) anyone was doing it. So I thought, okay, here's my moment to kind of maybe create a, a brand. I called it within five seconds, the best of Clubhouse. Created a Twitter account and just started liking and retweeting everything that I could find about Clubhouse. I even emailed, before I did that, I emailed the, the founders of Clubhouse. I was like, hey guys, here's what I'm doing. I hope that's okay. And they were like, they wrote back like, yeah, but I could tell that they were kind of cautious. They had so much going on. They're like, who's this guy doing random stuff? You know, Why are you helping the community <laughs> share what's going on on our platform? Why are you just doing that for free? But um, that was fun. And I was just kind of doing it a little bit here or there, you know, a few times a week. That was June, 2020. Within six months, I probably had like 5,000 followers which for me, I don't know if that was a lot or not. I wasn't huge on social media in any ways before that. And then Elon Musk came on. And when Elon Musk came on to Clubhouse and Clubhouse became even more so what it was, my brand just really accelerated from there. And for the first six months, uh, you know, for a while it was in private beta. I still wasn't on the platform. I started the best of Clubhouse and I still wasn't even on it yet. I was completely off of it. When I, but that helps me get on it because someone gave me an invite, right? A special access invite. And for the first few months, I was completely uh, anonymous. No one knew who I was, um, but then they wanted to hear me talk and have conversations. And so I started doing that. And then ultimately my name kind of came out somehow. And, and I put my, then I just started putting my name behind the brand. When Elon got on and the platform took off, people kept looking towards me as being, Adam, you're providing the best rooms available, the best conversations, the best insights, the best tips, right? Just all that stuff. And so they followed me. And uh, ultimately that, you know, grew my following to, I don't know, 20,000 or something like that, which was pretty cool. Uh, brand started working with me. And, or before that, when people asked me to start talking, I was like, well, who am I going to talk with? And I remember the first person I reached out to, uh, his name is Sid. He's the CEO of a massive 
software company called GitLab, $100 million valuation in the billions. And I wrote to him and I didn't ask him to come on an interview right away. I thought to myself, remember the give, give, give. What could I ask him to make him come on the platform, right? Well, he could come talk to me, but why would he talk to me, right? He'd probably want to talk to someone like a great conversation would be with someone maybe more at his level. So I said to him, if you're interested, I'd love to create a dream conversation for you. Who's one person, it doesn't matter how small or how big, that you would love to talk to? And he said, I'd love to talk to Austin, who's the CEO of a company at the time. Uh, what was it called? I forget the name of it. Now it's called Bloom Tech. Before it was something else, but another big software CEO. And I said, okay. So then I went over to Austin. I emailed him and I said, Austin, Sid wants to talk to you. Are you interested? <laughs> right. And Austin said, sure. And I was like, great. So I pulled them together. My first room on Clubhouse had like 1,500 people, right? Which at the time was a pretty big room. And I was the one hosting it. And that really kickstarted it. So that's one small story. And we can talk about interviews and getting guests and things like that in a moment. Mm -hmm. But then another software CEO heard about that and he wanted to interview Sid, that other CEO. And Sid copied me back on the email saying, sure, but Adam's going to produce it for us, right? Because he just knows the space. And so then, and he's like, okay, okay. And so I jump on the phone call and that actually led to my first monetization opportunity uh, and possibly the first within the live audio space monetization wise uh, right then, because that led to a, a new series where I worked together, I helped promote and produce that CEO's uh, conversations on Clubhouse, which was, just, was which, which was interviewing more software uh, CEOs, which I was really good at already doing, right? So I'm sure we can take this conversation a few ways, but I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, I wanted to touch on the monetization there. How did that then, uh, what did that um, conversation look like? Because money is universally the hardest thing to talk about when it comes to business and services. And everyone's always like, what do I charge? And how do I even broach the topic? Like, so, so what did that look like for you sort of just starting out in the audio like production space? Yep. So I thought to myself, all right, if you're in the audio space and I was, I was, getting deep in it. Like, what would I want? What would I need? What am I able to give people? Right. So can I host? Yes. Can I be a moderator or facilitator, right? Where there's a main host, but you still need someone to help control the agenda or the conversation, or since it's live audio, you're engaging with the audience. So how do you engage with the audience? Right. Um, be a moderator, facilitator, speaker training. You know, I have a past of being a TEDx organizer and mm -hmm. curator uh, and helping grow that for years. So helping coach people on public speaking was another thing. Uh, what else was it? It was promotion. I had built up a following of at the time, probably 15, 20,000 followers on Twitter who were following me as the go-to resource for what were the best conversations on Clubhouse, right? So I gave them direct access to the audience that they may want to promote it. I could give them analytics because tools that we're trying to build upon the platform contacted me saying, hey, use it for free. Can you promote it? Can we build relationships uh, with those? And so I had access, special access to those tools that some people didn't have, or maybe other people would have to pay a bunch of money for that. Now I had these analytics. And if you think about just growth these days, a lot of it's based off being able to understand the data and nuances, finding insights and learning and improving from that. Right. So I was able to provide them analytics and, and more. So that was just figuring out what my services were thinking what they were, then figuring out, well, how much is that worth, right? Like, I don't know. So I remember just like trying to calculate, well, what's my hours? Uh, how much time am I going to put into this? And generally how much do I think I, I, my hourly rate already is? 
and then multiply it and just throw it out there. Cause at some point you just got to put a number out and see if it sticks or not. I remember putting a number out there and they were like, okay. And I was like, <laughs> all right, this is pretty cool. You know? And so that was that first moment where, uh, you know, I signed a contract, I had a series, I could put that together and it didn't stop there though, you know, because that just opened up to that's validation when you start working with people of significance, when you start working with big brands. And then if you check me out on, on Twitter right now, like I put those logos up on my banner so that it's like instant validation. Oh, Adam, you've worked with Gainsight. You've worked with Juniper Networks. You've worked with Entrepreneur Magazine. That's pretty quick of uh, validation so that if more people need that type of work, he's a trusted go-to resource that, you know, he's done this before type of thing. So I was able to monetize that. And from there, I, it's probably around that moment that I really started kickstarting into interviewing people. And so I don't, I want to go down that route. I think you'll be interested in it, but Uh before I transition away, I want to make sure we're covering the creator and the monetization aspect of it. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on being the facilitator. So I also wanted to sort of swing back to that because I think that is something that is hugely overlooked. Like you see so many, like obviously everything transitioned to Twitter spaces mostly and whatnot. And that's like, the meat and potatoes now, but there's so many spaces that there's no one there to make sure that the entertainment, because in the end, this is entertainment and education, that this entertainment and education sort of thing is actually happening. And I think that that's something, like, I like to think that's sort of what I do. Like, I'm here just to facilitate this conversation, focusing on you. I have a couple other shows. Um, We have a platform called Kidney Stone Diet. And like we're answering listener questions, trying to, I'm there to facilitate as Jill, the expert, the nurse, the person who, the practitioner can then uh, work through answering and helping as many people as we can, because it's anyone can just open up a Twitter space and talk, but that's not, that's not really, that can be their why. It's not the why that I'm looking for as a listener or as a, as a creator. And I think that's hugely valuable. Like as a facilitator, do you, there's so many directions we can go, but I almost just want to ask as a facilitator, what's maybe something that you think is valuable from, from your side, having facilitated these conversations, like how someone should maybe look at facilitating. Two things come to mind. One, I want to take a step back for a moment because in my past years before I helped organize uh, some TEDx events, right? And if you're familiar with TED global organization, helping share ideas that are really, really valuable a lot of people out there think that they have great ideas and that's fantastic, but it doesn't matter unless the world also thinks in some way that you have a great idea and are you executing on it as well, right? So when I was doing this, these TEDx events and I get hundreds of applications and it's hard to whittle it down, but a few things stand out. Number one, you do have to have, I would like to bucket into three different buckets. You mentioned the t- two of the words just a moment ago, education, right? entertainment and engagement. Those are the three buckets that even to this day, I really try to put a lot of my content behind because if you can hit any one of those, okay, you're off to a great start. If you can hit two of those, you're really, really great. Third, you're almost perfect. It's hard to do that though. The fact of the matter is people are looking to be entertained, right? Or they're trying to learn something, education, right? Or the third is being is the engagement. And so with live audio, for instance, that's the difference between a podcast and a radio which there isn't a lot of engagement. It's, it's one-sided in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but with live audio, you can engage with the audience. You never know who's going to show up in the room. I mean, heck, I find Elon Musk tuned into me before. That's my, one of my 15 minutes of fame. So <laughs> maybe we can touch on that. But those are three buckets that I think about with content. 
And with the work that I was doing with TEDx and curating, you got to find a diverse number of topics, right? Unless, you know, find your niche, sure. But ultimately for an event, you need to have a lot. And so think about your stage. You should have diverse perspectives up there, right? You don't want all same people saying the same thing. That's boring conversation in some ways. So that's one thing. Uh, number two, a lot of people often, they may have great content, but they may suck at public speaking, yeah. right? Or vice versa. They may be great at public speaking, but they don't have any great content or any great idea. So with TED, it's both of those. They, the cream of the crop, you've got great ideas, great content, and you're a great public speaker, or they're going to make you a great public speaker and they rise you up. You know, so my, a lot of my work was about helping these speakers do a lot of that prep work before they even get on stage for their 15 minutes, right? And being able to consolidate into 15 minutes is also very, very hard. So as I relate that over to live audio now, sure, please hit the education, the entertainment, and of course the um, the engagement as well. But one thing I get a lot of, sure I get compliments, Adam, you're a great host. You know, how do you do it? One thing that I think about is you just have to be able to facilitate the conversation. You said it before. It's not always what you know; it's who you know. Oftentimes, I'm in a room, I'm a or I'm hosting a conversation. I have no idea about it, right? Just a couple months ago, I, I hosted one about AI, right? And like, I literally know not a hell of a lot about AI, <laughs> right? Artificial intelligence, but it's about who I know. Can I bring in those experts? And ultimately what I'm trying to do, do is like be the stupidest person in the room surrounded by intellectuals and very, very smart people that are interesting and can share great insights. So people are fascinated, they're entertained and they're gonna walk away with education. They're gonna learn something. And then can I engage with the audience a little bit as more, but ultimately I'm trying to facilitate that conversation. Right. And one thing I'm doing on stage live, which is really, really hard to do is in a way I want to keep a flow, right? I'm trying to keep things that are interesting, but there's times when we, maybe we had an agenda or something like that. You have to kind of divert off the agenda a little bit, or again, just go with the flow. And it's not about taking some 90 degree or 180 degree turn. It's just like picking up on something very, very small, right? And continuing with it, but changing it just the tiniest of bit, right? So it seems like it's a smooth transition to a new topic. It's just not far off of what you were just discussing, right? And so that's just what's going on in my mind at about a thousand miles an hour during any live conversation is, okay, what have we touched on? What are we talking about right now? Where do we expect to go? But what am I hearing? Or do I see someone in the audience that might be relevant to this and I can pull them up as well, right? So there's just a million different things that are going on in that moment where I'm just trying to take it the next step. And it's a small little change. It's a small little tangent of the next step in that conversation, right? Um, maybe it's a question that comes to mind in my own head, or I heard someone earlier comment on something, but we didn't dive deep into it and I can bring them back into the conversation, right? So I know it, this is a very long-winded way of answering your question, but when I think about facilitation, it's keeping a good flow without and taking steps forward, but making little slight changes along the way so that it seems like it's a smooth flow. But in actuality, you are changing the conversation and trying to get to that next step. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like when it comes to building businesses, I like to always say that you want a compass, not a map. There isn't a set like step by step by step to get where you want to go. But as long as you're calibrated, going in the right direction, yeah. you're going to get to the, the region you want to be in. And you're describing exactly that. You are steering that conversation along with sort of your North Star, but you got to pull on threads. You got to go off script of sorts, script or not, but you need to go off on these tangents because this is 
this is also why we're here. We're here for real dialogue and people listening and conversing. I mean, I feel like so much of us have, so many of us have experienced just people talking at us, not listening to what we're saying, not engaging, not responding in a way that lets us dig deeper and instead just closes it, closes, cuts the thread rather than pulling on it. And you need to make it relatable, right? Mm -hmm. So another thing that someone like Gary Vee, who I brought up earlier, would say is like, you got to be empathetic. So I think a great thing with me, um, and I've heard it actually from some of the guests that I've interviewed, they're like, Adam, the reason I said yes to you was you weren't a reporter, right? You're not aiming for a store, like a specific angle or a story. You're not trying to find something. You're a normal guy. (laughs) And some people might, and I took that actually in a great way. It's like, I'm a normal guy. I'm the stupidest person in the room. But the thing is, is most of the people in the audience, they're also not PhD professors, right? That are understanding the exact nuances of AI or business or entrepreneurship, startups, technology, whatever it may be. It's another one of me, right? So I kind of think of this in like a a Joe Rogan way, right? He does some great interviews, but he's not some expert in some specific areas. And he's interviewing some fascinating people. He's asking the questions that a normal person would ask. And sometimes they sound stupid, but they're actually like the same question that I would have. And so that's the empathy that I'm actually looking to in the audience. And I study my audiences all the time. It's like, what questions would they ask? What's interesting to them? What's educational to them? And I I know I'm harping on AI as an example, but AI is not going to help most people in the audience or they're not even going to know that it's going to help them. But is there something that I can extract that they could utilize in their day-to-day or something that does relate to them, that resonates with them, that then interests them to follow that person, that speaker, that brand, go test the software, whatever the product may be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so being empathetic, thinking about it from the perspective of your, of your audience uh, or your customers, prospects, whatever that would be in the business world is really, really another important aspect of facilitating a great conversation. Mm-hmm. And you said study your audience. How do you go about doing that? So uh, earlier I talked about the services that I provide, right? One thing being analytics. And I love pulling analytics from uh, individual conversations, right? So very specific ones would be, people think like max listeners is always important. That's a nice one to have, but key is like retention. Are your listeners, did they join last time? Are they joining again, right? How long are they listening for? Because you could have a million people listening to you, but if they listen to you for an average of five seconds, that's a, that doesn't mean anything. If they're there for the whole hour conversation, different, right? And then, so from there, you can look into the demographics. Okay, I'm generally for myself, and I don't promote this very often, but the best of is I'm not the best, right? I'm highlighting the best people, the best conversations out there. Generally speaking, though, I'm focusing on business, entrepreneurship, uh, startups, and technology, right? So as I think about that, most people in my audience are typically interested in that type of work as well, right? So I'm looking for the demographics of maybe they're more interested in specific types of technology, right? Uh, Or I'm thinking, are they men versus women? Are they different age demographics, right? A lot of the stuff that I think about from the podcasting clients that I have as well. You can pull analytics from Spotify, from, you know, Megaphone, whatever you guys are using. And you can really dive into into the demographics of your audience because, again, I can try to push content out there, but if 90% of the people want something else or would typically gravitate towards something else. You might want to then not necessarily tailor it for them, but utilize that insight for your strategy. You know what I mean? To learn from your audience to then 
test new features, test new conversations, new questions. Uh, what new things can I pull in new types of audiences as well? So th those are the different type of metrics and data that, data that I look into. And I have a degree in psychology, right? So I just love diving into human behavior, how people think, how they make decisions, what makes things interesting and fascinating. I'm thinking about that constantly. Uh, and then the last thing from a data perspective is, is just from certain platforms like Twitter, Twitter spaces, right? I can pull them from the rooms, but you have analytics on the, on the posts that you put out there on the content. What resonates with that as well? How many people like this type of conversation versus that? There's all types of things that you can do to really help inform your strategy. Yeah. So this is a lot, like a lot to manage. What does growth view, what is what you do, best of live audio? What does the makeup look like there? Is it just you? Do you have a team around you? Um, how do you how do you handle all of these things? I got asked that two months ago and I kind of I laughed at myself. I was like, it is all me to mm -hmm. answer your question. It is all me. I do utilize tools that can make things easier, right? Um, and I build up a network of great people, right? So I have yeah, sure, a following of 40,000 people on Twitter or or more on Clubhouse like that. But sometimes without knowing it, they just send me things, right? Or I'm actually utilizing their content. Hence, a lot of my posts, if you look, are retweets. It's not my own content. It's just because, you know, you posted something brilliant and that resonates with my, my following. So I'm just going to retweet it. And what that does is helps inform my uh, audience, right? And gives them entertainment or gives them something educational, something to engage with. But ultimately, it drives back to you. Right. So you're going to get more followers or more likes, Jeff. But who retweeted that? Maybe you noticed that I did. Right. And so ultimately that builds our relationship up as well. Right. Um, but in, so I know we started this conversation talking about community. I'm not saying we're ending it right now, but <laughs> we're swinging back into that community world. Right. Where mm -hmm. I now have built up a following, but I'm not going to call it that. It's really my community. And what I give is a lot of my time and effort, but I certainly get a lot of value back from them. Um, and then I've created more, you know, I've created, I got early access to Twitter spaces community or Twitter communities. And I started the first startup community. It's now the largest startup community on Twitter, which I think would be really, really valuable down the road, but it's giving more insight, more value to the community. And ultimately it's already bringing me new opportunities as well. So yeah, growth view, the best of live audio, it's 100% me, but it's also 100% the community that's supporting that, um, because I think we all share the same, the same path, the yeah. same passions. Yeah, for sure. And like that speaks to me a thousand percent because everything we do, it's me and my business partner, Dave. It's the two of us. Okay. So Amara, my girlfriend is actually, she produces the show live. So it's a, all the camera cuts and stuff are happening right now, sort of off camera that you don't see. But, um, but like our core business is just the two of us and Dave's the designer, the artist, the like uh, creative in that sense. And then I do everything else. So finding those tools streamlining things making sure that like if i'm going to be doing the accounting everything is lined up in a way where i don't have to think about it like i'm just pull pull like click a couple buttons and i'm good to go payrolls out like and i know like that's such a minutia to think about the accounting but every single detail of the business is a detail that we have to worry about and yep. when you're doing it yourself finding that figuring out how to achieve that i think is um it, it ties back to your problem solving. Like you're solving problems for others. I feel the same way. It's sort of like what I do. Like you're sol solving problems for others and for yourself and making it work in the best way that you can. Yep. And then uh, I want to be make sure time is good. But at the same time, 
I've built out like it's a one man show, right? But I've mm -hmm. streamlined this as much as yeah. possible. I don't mean I don't mean a one man show like I'm the only one hosting it, but uh, I'm the only one doing this work. Over the years that I've been doing it, I've built up a process, right, for how I go study my analytics to how I think of the next guests, right, to how I do my outreach, to how I track it, to how I you know email people, how I coordinate the tools that I use. So the tools there are, are really, really helpful, but I've built up my framework ultimately in my strategies. Uh, at this point, it's it's pretty streamlined so that it's executed really, really well, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that helps save my time and effort. And um, do you have any questions about that? Because I'd love to talk about that. If you have any yeah, I definitely too. want to. And do you have a heart out or is it okay if we stay for a few extra minutes? I can minutes? go a little bit longer. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I never want to uh, overstep on your time. But yeah, I mean so many questions about the actual practice of it specifically outreach outreach is always so difficult and i heard you say um have a little a little phrase that you sometimes use about would it be crazy if which i thought is an amazing way to start it um could you just explain that for a minute and then just sort of touch on your approach to outreach and connection yeah where's the book here it is i don't know if it's mentioned in the book never split the difference mm -hmm. by chris boss he was um so a year ago on Clubhouse, he was one of the best speakers, in my opinion. So Chris Voss is a former lead XBI, ex, <laughs> ex FBI negotiator. What he was, was around the world in the biggest areas that needed negotiation, hostage, whatever. He was the go-to guy for the FBI, right? So he knows a thing or two about negotiation and communication. When he was having these conversations on, on Clubhouse, they were fascinating. Thousands of people would tune in, right? Because everyone's just excited. It's just an exciting topic, right? The thing that was brilliant was that he was utilizing and sharing strategies that, yes, work in hostages and negotiations, but then, like I said earlier, can you, who in the audience is going to ever need to know that? Hardly mm -hmm. no one, right? But he was telling in the story of, you can use that for interview negotiations, right? Job negotiations, sales negotiations, whatever. He would relate it to the audience the audience and who isn't looking for a job, needing more sales, marketing and branding, whatever. So he was a fascinating guy. And I had the chance to interview him and to talk with him multiple times as well on the platform. And a lot of things stood and stuck out and I utilized them. But one thing very, very specifically is what you just mentioned. And I remember it like a light switch. I asked him a question and he said that. He said, often people are always aiming for a yes, right? Hey, Jeff, you're asking me to come on this podcast. Will you do it? And the obvious, you're looking for a yes, right? Or in a sales negotiation, they want a yes. Can I have a phone call? Yes, whatever it is. He flipped it. And his reasoning is you're going for a no. Why you want that is because people on the other side, so if you're coming at me for the podcast, for instance, I'm very protective of my time, right? There's a lot going on in my world, work, family, friends, whatever. So it needs to be important. Anytime I want, I'm going to say yes, that's a lot to commit, right? So it's hard. I'm, most people are actually defensive. They're going to not want to do that. So flip it, go for a no. And what he said is, if you ask it this way, and he used the example, is it crazy if I ask if you'll join for this podcast next week, right? Or another way, um, is it a crazy idea to ask if you'll join or is it bad timing for you to join? Is it a bad idea, right? So whatever the question is, that's the standard template and then fill in the blank, ask the question mark, right? Now put this into perspective of the other person. Is it crazy to ask 
if you'll join me on a podcast, right? The quick answer in someone's mind is going to be like, no, it's not a crazy idea. You didn't ask for a billion dollars, right? That subtle opening puts you more towards a yes, because, okay, no, it's not a crazy idea. Let me think about it a little bit more. And there has to be more context behind it, right? So when you heard me talking with Derek, there's more in my outreach that validates the idea, people I've talked to, stuff like that, right? But ultimately, you want to get to a, a no. So no, it's not crazy if you ask. Hence, they'll probably say yes to it. And I swear, I've probably used that a thousand times since I've talked to Chris and he gave me that. It's worked nine out of 10 times. 90% of the time, I'm get what I'm looking for. And yes, it's for an interview. It might be a sale. And sure, you're going to get times where people say no or they don't get back to you. It's just worked for me more often than not. And I absolutely love it because at the same time, the other person doesn't feel like you're trying to get them right mm -hmm. in some way. Uh, and it just opens the door. That's all I'm trying to do as well is open the door. I don't even need a yes or a no off the get-go. It just gets me in the door. And then from there, I, I have... 20 other things I can do to help, you know, make it happen. Yeah. And you're also giving them the lead, like just a little bit to be like, oh, you know what? Actually, it is a, a really bad time, but thanks for reaching out. Like they don't have to feel like the bad guy, which is such a valuable thing too. It's it's giving giving them the opportunity to easily just be like, sorry. Exactly. And again, just like Chris said, you know, he's an F FBI negotiator trying to teach people things in your job and in sales very similar. It's a question that he would use in a hostage negotiation, but very similarly, I'm using that if I need to get an interview with a guest, if I'm trying to make a sale. So it, it's relevant to me and it's also relevant to my audience as well. So it's it's a great piece of content. It's probably one of the best principles besides give, 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 ask, which I got from Gary <laughs> Vee. That's another one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, I don't want to take too much of your time. I really appreciate like all the time today you're given diving in your story and everything. And I feel like at some point, we'll have to do something just on interview, the art of the interview and everything because, yeah, there's so much insight here. But where should we send people to uh, follow along if that's a live audio and you and dive deeper? Yeah, so I'm 99.9% .9 of the time on Twitter. That's the best place you can go. It's at Best of Live Audio. And from there, you'll find you know connections to me and to my website. But I'm there. I'm on there as much as possible. And I love connecting with people. I think everyone has a fascinating story. I mean, heck, we could flip this around. I'd love <laughs> to do a podcast or a live audio session with you as well. Let me, let me end with this, Jeff. If you were to interview someone and it was a dream scenario. Anyone in the world, doesn't matter how small it is or how small the person, how big they are, they need to be alive though. Who would be that one person that you'd love to talk with? That is a very difficult question. What what pops to mind is I have a friend, Matt Diavella. He's a filmmaker. He produced our documentary and everything. And his whole thing was get the rock on Matt's podcast. That's the first thing that comes to my mind is like, who would be that person? I don't have a great example right now, but that is going to make me think and mm -hmm. try to see what... Yeah, what thread there would be the one that I would want to see sort of pulled on and see if I could get a little closer? Because think about that. I'm interested to give, the, I want to help you get that, right? That's one thing. At the same time, and, and The Rock is another one that I'd love to interview <laughs> as well. But I ask this question because I'm always curious who in the audience, what they want to hear from. Because mm -hmm. I might want to hear from The Rock, but you and everyone else that's following me might want to hear from someone else. So that's why I love having this question is because then it's insights for me to pull and ultimately go help get that person, bring them on a show, which gives value back to you as well, right? Yeah. Um, and so I love co-hosting. If Jeff, you're ever interested, you want to do something on live audio, let's do that. And that's where I'm throwing it out to the fans and everyone who's listening as well. Yes, please follow me on Twitter, The Best of Live Audio. But if there's people that you want to hear from, let me know. I want to bring them on. Maybe you can jump up on stage and get that opportunity to connect with someone that you may not all, 
you know, often get that chance to talk with. I love to create that dream scenario for those people. I want to thank Adam for joining me on this episode. Follow, follow him and follow along with everything he's doing at Best of Live Audio at Best Live Audio on Twitter. But yeah, that was a great... Are you laughing over there? You're laughing because we just messed up and then I'm just playing it off like we didn't? I got the giggles. <laughs> but yeah, that was an awesome conversation. But yeah, totally, totally uh, messing up the your screen over there, stealing your... Uh, your command center so you can't even see what's happening <laughs> i'm major tom or no i'm ground control you're major tom whatever hi okay <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i really wish i could have gotten gotten i really wish i could have had your video cut to in the video so we could have uh video 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 <laughs> so so adam could have met you but for whatever reason gopro was not showing the gopro was not showing in zoom i am well, having a can... lot of trouble right now it's okay i I still love you. <laughs> Thank he you. He can find me on Twitter at Amara Andrew. And <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. You can find her podcast by Amara, which is on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts. Nerds only. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all we're, we're all, all friends nerds. here. This yeah. is this is why we're here. This is yeah. This is what I'm we do. Teasing. We're all nerds. <laughs> but yeah. Thanks again for producing the show. Happy and, to help. Yeah. Happy to be here. And thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> and I think with that, we will wrap. Again, this is starting now. I'm Jeff Saris, and I'll see you next time. Bye.